Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. Today we're going to talk about some really exciting uh, new developments in age repair defenses and the results of a study which was recently um, presented for the first time at VCS, Vegas Cosmetic Surgery. Um, the lead investigator on the study, Dr. Amy Taub, is a cosmetic dermatologist, and um, she was the principal investigator of a very rigorous multi-center controlled clinical trial on age repair defensins. Today, we have Dr. Taub on the line with us. Thank you very much, Dr. Taub, for being on Aesthetic Insider Radio. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Well, for those listeners um, that would like to learn more about you, Dr. Taub, can you please, you know, kind of tell us about yourself and your practice? Sure. I'm located in the Chicago suburbs. I've been in practice for oh, a long time. Let's just leave it at that. And our practice is kind of split half and half cosmetic and medical. Um, we uh, just, we we do it all. But we try to always be, you know, innovative, try to find new solutions for our patients, whether they be medical or even administrative, <clears throat> the way they interact with the staff or, you know, their whole experience or obviously cosmetic. There's always more opportunity to be innovative in cosmetic because things change much more uh, and exciting things are always coming out. So it's a fun mix of practice, and um, we have a fairly big uh, facility. We have two offices, seven providers, and um, a lot of staff to try and um, take care of everybody. We also have two boutique skincare centers that are actually, one is in the practice, but it operates as a separate entity, and the other one is actually separate but close, um, where we we uh, employ estheticians, so instead of people just being salespeople in the store, they're actually highly trained, and they really understand all the products and the ingredients and how they go together. And our philosophy, or at least my philosophy of skincare, which is to, um, you know, for the aging component, we try to achieve something called the core four. So instead of, you know, many people will come and ask me about a specific product, you know, the Hero product, and I try to get away from that, um, maybe with the exception of Definage, but I'll explain why Definage fits in with that structure later, but mainly so that they know what the function of their products are. Rather than just buying the latest new thing, they need obviously sunscreen. They need something called an antioxidant, which helps to repair your skin when it's damaged, and that's kind of on the defensive side. And then on the offensive side, something that exfoliates so that, you know, your skin doesn't kind of get a little bit sluggish. We want to want to kick up the metabolism a little bit. And then something that's going to stimulate growth, like growth of collagen, elastin, new skin, et cetera. And that kind of rounds out the functions that need to be performed for anti-aging. And pretty much everybody could use those. I mean, I guess young people could take out the potentially the growth part because they're still very active. But um, so we we try to put together like a whole regimen of products for people so that they 
they're really practicing healthy skin type of, you know, daily practice. You know, Dr. Taub, um, you know, you are a board-certified dermatologist, an advanced dermatology, your practice, um, you know, it's a state-of-the-art cosmetic practice, and, and I know that you're very, you know, nationally recognized for excellence in dermatologic and skin care. Um, how did you first come across the Definage line? Actually, it was introduced to me by the vice president of sales of the company, Wayne Lura, who I've known was many for many years, um, partly through another company that he used to work for, and he was very excited about the product. He wanted me to try it. He told me that it was really groundbreaking science. I um, respected his opinion, so I. Um, it wasn't so much that I tried the product first, as he wanted me to meet the founder of the company and the inventor of the product. On Nikolay Turovets, and I spent about an hour with him, and he explained to me the science behind why he chose to create this product. And I was really, really taken with the science. The story to me was really um, groundbreaking. I understood it. I also felt that, you know, it's just an instinctive thing. He seemed like a really honest person, um, really smart, and I tried it. And literally within a few days, I saw that there was an improvement on my skin, so I was kind of quite taken. I used it on my arms mainly because I take really good care of my face and my neck, and I didn't necessarily not expect it to improve those areas, but they're already so well taken care of. I thought, you know, I'm a little bit more lazy with my arms and haven't been loving the wrinkles I've been seeing on my arms because I'm getting older. And I thought, you know, I'm going to put it on a place that really needs work. And like three or four days later, they were looking better. And I was like, what is in this stuff? So I became more interested, shall we say, and that was kind of where it took off. And so that's, I mean, that's fantastic. And even you're saying, you know, you used it on your arms, which I would have never thought of actually using it there. But now I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe after this interview, I'm going to go give that a a try because my arms are aging a little bit too. (laughs) Um, That's a fantastic use for it. Um, Ken, so you were the, you know, principal investigator of this multi-center controlled clinical trial, which, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, you know, was just presented for the first time and and, then... I, I would love to know, you know, a little bit more about that, um, the study sure. on age repair defensins and what yes. they are. The study um, was actually in three different centers, both myself, Dr. Vivian Bouquet, who's in San Antonio, Texas, and she's well known for her work and her expertise in topical therapies, and then Gregory Keller, who's a plastic surgeon in California, who um, is an expert at stem cells and many other things, very interesting man. And we devised this study that would have um, 45 patients, so 15 at each site, and we had them using uh, the product. Well, it's actually three products. Um, So for your listeners, it's a kit. It's a serum, uh, a lotion, and then a mask. The serum and the lotion are used twice a day and the mask is used one to two times per week depending on people how people tolerate it. 
and the mask is made of some exfoliant, so there's a little bit of exfoliation with the mask. It's quite gentle, though. <clears throat> and the defensins are in both the serum and the cream. Um, the serum has a higher level of defensins. The cream has much higher levels of antioxidants. We had spoken about that. So it fulfills my core four, which is the defensins stimulate new growth. The antioxidants are there for protection and defense. And the um, exfoliate uh, function is performed by the mask. It doesn't have a sunscreen because they felt that there were so many good sunscreens. People like their own sunscreens. And so they just wanted people to be able to choose their own sunscreen. So what we decided to do was to have, um, I believe it was, uh, I'm blanking on how many people. I think it was two-thirds, one-third. So 30 people had the actual ingredients. And then 15 people had what we call a null ingredient. For those of us who don't do studies, let me explain that. It was packaged in exactly the same packaging. And it felt pretty much exactly the same, like they've never used that, so they wouldn't know the difference. But the actual active ingredients, the antioxidants, the exfoliant, and the defensins were removed or never put in. So it was a true double-blind study. Sometimes people do a double-blind study where you're using, um, an, you know, you're using the product, and then on the other side of the study, you use nothing. Okay, well, obviously, if you're going to be taking care of your skin and putting moisturizer on, twice a day and putting something that's exfoliating on right by dint of that, you're going to get an improvement. But we wanted to really prove that it was the ingredients itself that was improving. And they also received a cleanser, a gentle cleanser, and a sunscreen, mainly because we wanted everybody to have the same exact skin care. We didn't want somebody to have skin care that was different. So it was pretty rigorous. We also did not know who had what. So basically, they came to us numbered. We didn't know who had anything. That's called a um, a double-blinded study because the investigators nor the patients knew whether they got the active ingredients or the inactive ingredients. And then they were instructed to use them twice a day to their face and neck, um, the serum and cream, and the mask once to twice a week as per the instructions, which I believe is to leave it on for 10 minutes and wash it off and obviously to use the sunscreen that we gave them. And then we looked at them um, every at six weeks and at 12 weeks. We also instructed everybody to put the, all the ingredients behind their ears because there was a subset of people who were actually had a biopsy performed, um, some of them at six weeks. Everybody who had a biopsy performed had it before at baseline, and then some people had it at six weeks, and some people had it at 12 weeks. So let's say you had it, we do it at baseline, say behind your left ear, and then when you came back six weeks or 12 weeks later, we do the biopsy between the right ear, and during the meantime, you'd be using the product behind your ears as well. Obviously, we did the biopsy behind the ear to spare. We didn't want to leave a scar, and that's, you know, a standard, a scar on the face. That's a standard place to biopsy skin. Um, the skin there is similar to facial skin or neck skin, um, and so you can get some fairly good uh, evidence behind that. We also took photography um, at all three places, and we also looked at what's called a Griffith scale, which was a scale that was worked out by Dr. Griffiths that kind of grades um, grades each factor of aging separately. So we did that. Each one of the investigators actually looked at each patient at six weeks and 12 weeks and also at baseline and gave a grade. And then in addition, 
um, at Dr. Keller's office, he had some cool tools, called one called Quantificare, which is a company in France that actually can quantitate some skincare things, and also something called Cortex, which is high... Um, high-level ultrasound, like microscopic ultrasound, and also can take 3D photography with some features where you can color the features so you can see them better. And so his 15 patients also underwent that. And in addition, besides the biopsies that we looked at, we also had some what they call immunohistochemistry performed on the biopsy. So what we tried to do was show by a variety of different ways some somewhat subjective, the patient's information and re- the reaction to it, the, the investigators who didn't know whether they had the um, placebo or the real stuff, and then these other kind of more um, objective measurements to see if we could, you know, corroborate our findings in more than one way. Now, um I'm dying to know the results of the study because I was not there when you presented it, but I know we're going to save that for a little bit a little bit longer um, because I think <laughs> our listeners would, would want to know kind of in the actual product itself and the age repair defenses that are in the Depenage line, um, what are they? And, you know, um, how how does it actually work in the, in the whole process of, of improvement of the skin? Well, Defensins are actually molecules that we already have in our skin. There's actually many different defensins, but the defensins number three and number five are used primarily to heal the skin, and they're also used in other areas of the body, um, for instance, the intestines, anywhere where there's a skin or mucous membrane. And their primary goal um, or their primary function is to heal the skin. So when you get a cut or a scrape or a wound, what happens is, is that there's certain immune cells that release the defensins, so your body makes them. It releases the defensins, and they kind of go over to these centers, which are actually found in the skin in the hair follicle. And they, these centers have many growth, uh, many I'm sorry, many stem cells, different kinds of stem cells. So there's a particular stem cell there that's called LGR1+, and that's the sole function of that stem cell is just to make new keratinocytes, which are the the cells that are in the epidermis, when there's been damage to the skin. So what happens is there's damage to the skin, the body's immune system comes to the fore, the cells called neutrophils release these defensins, the defensins then turn on this stem cell locus in the hair follicle, and the hair follicle produces brand new skin cells to populate and fix the tear, the rent, or whatever has happened. So the idea behind this is to create um, like a biomimetic, which means a similar peptide. We've heard a lot about that lately. Like, for instance, Kybella is a biomimetic, um, a biomimetic protein that mimics the function of what the gallbladder does to break down fat. So this idea of creating something that the body already makes is a great one because it's pretty much natural. It's using the natural function to do something else. So now we're we're turning on these cells, actually the growth factors, to make new cells that usually are dormant. So they lay dormant. Their only function 
is to come out when your skin is burnt or scraped or cut. So they're pretty much completely new cells when they're formed. When you think about many of the other products that we have, they stimulate the cells that we already have. Okay, so the cells that we already have have been exposed to a lot of things, like they've exposed to environmental insults, the sun and pollution. They've acquired mutations. And also, they're as old as we are. If you're 62, like I am, then you've got 62-year-old cells. Whereas, um, I guess I shouldn't have revealed my age. But, you know, in, it's in okay. You look dealing with these, um, these growth factors, what happens is, is that the growth factor, I'm sorry, the, the stem cell actually makes a brand new cell, which then repopulates the whole skin. So we're talking about a cell that's much fresher. It hasn't had a chance to deteriorate or acquire all these mutations. And therefore, what happens is the skin that that is replaced looks really fresher. It looks new, it looks brighter, um, and it has better functionality on top of it. So this is a very new idea in skincare. That's why I was so taken with it. Um, And I think that the results, which we're going to talk about, bears out the concept. You know, a lot of times you have a good concept. Every skincare line has a good story. I'm not saying that the story isn't true for other skincare lines. I think it is. But this story captivated me with its science, and I, um, I'm, I, you know, I was actually nervous during the study. This is kind of a big deal, and if it didn't turn out well, it would have been somewhat of a disappointment and also wouldn't be consistent with the, um, the feedback that we're getting from patients. But as you know, in our field, this is anecdotal information. We want to have the real science. So um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Now, there's a lot of peptides. What is a peptide? It's basically like a small protein. And so not all peptides are equal. A lot of times people will say to me, well, I have peptides, you know, already in my skincare. Well, yes, some peptides are stimulatory, some peptides. there's, There's thousands of peptides. Some peptides relax the skin, like argireline is a peptide that relaxes the skin. There's a lot of products that have that in it to kind of mimic what Botox does, although, you know, it's obviously not as strong. But you have to understand that these peptides all have different functions. So to say it's a peptide is like kind of like saying, you know, it's bread, but now I want whole wheat bread and I want a specific type of whole wheat bread that has seeds in it and a specific brand. And so it's like a general you know, it's just a general Got term. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, but the then, nice thing um, about the peptides is they are smaller molecules. And the reason that matters is because, you know, we probably can absorb them a lot better than these bigger molecules. Now, how would you explain uh, the defensins and defenage versus like a retinol? Um, is there any... Well, you're going to have to... I'm going to have to reveal some of the results if I try okay. to... Okay. That. Okay. Okay. So one of the principal results, one of the results that was incredibly exciting to us, was that the epidermis, which is the thin, you know the top layer of skin, was actually thickened by the skincare product. So generally speaking, when you thicken the epidermis, of course it's going to be less see-through. So you're you're going to be have a brighter reflection on it, and it's also going to retain more water, and do all kinds of wonderful things. 
So we, we showed that by the histology. In other words, the biopsies showed that when we actually measured the epidermis of the people, and that's microscopic, the pathologist did it, Dr. Darius Merrigan, who's actually quite well-known pathologist, and he measured the epidermis before and at six weeks and 12 weeks of the people that had the product and those who didn't. Those who had the product had, on average, um, 100 microns of improvement in terms of the thickness of the epidermis, and those with the um, with the null product did not have that, and that was found to be statistically significant. Another really important thing that we found was that there was not an increased amount of inflammation in the skin. So inflammation will cause the immune cascade in the skin. For instance, if you inflame the skin, that's almost like calling out the immune system. That's inflammation, immune system. And so they will release the defensins, right? And they will do other things to repair the skin, not just defensins. And so what was shown was by the biopsies that there was no increase in inflammation. And that's important because it corroborates our story because the story of the defensins is not to increase inflammation, which has other potentially effects that could be even deleterious. Um, And we just purely stimulated those cells that actually make the skin thicker. And retinol, I mean, retinols do many, many things. So I'm only going to talk about what it does in terms of thickening the skin, but that is one thing that retinols do is thicken the skin and also make it look brighter because probably part of it is from the exfoliation part of through the thickening of the skin. But as we know, sometimes retinols can cause inflammation, at least initially, mainly because of probably because of the exfoliation. And it's really complex. I don't want to present myself as an expert in retinols because I'm really not. But I think that what's groundbreaking about this is that we could potentially thicken the skin without causing inflammation and without causing dryness, which is, you know, a a factor. Retinols obviously are phenomenal molecules that do a lot of things for us. But let's face it, there's a lot of people in the aging category who can't tolerate them or at least can't tolerate them every day. And so here we have a product that can do at least some of the function of the retinol without some of the deleterious aspects of the retinol. And I think that that's that's pretty amazing. Now, what about, and, and again, now we're talking about the results of the study, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I mean, I love to hear that um, because I do know inflammation and dryness and all of those things are, are things that I think put people off continuing a product that is, is possibly actually doing some good things for their skin. So it's great that this Defenage, you know, the defensins are, are not causing that inflammation. What about... Um, in relation to growth factors? Because you mentioned like cellular growth and other, other things, but what about actual growth factors as some skincare products do have growth factors in them? Yeah, well, I'm very pro-growth factor. Um, the, problem with the, the problem with growth factors, and it may not be a problem, but one of the concerns that we have with growth factors is that they kind of turn on everything. So in other words, the growth factors that we have um, – mainly in the skincare industry, which are like TNS and Neocutis, are derived from, in TNS's case, the supernatant of um, sheets of cells that put off these growth, that make growth factors. So it's really cool because it's like a natural product, and that is was groundbreaking in its day, which was 12 or 13 years ago, and it's still an excellent product. 
I guess the question we really have is how much of that is getting in, number one, and what are we turning on? It's not not super specific because it has a lot of growth factors. And actually they tout that, that they have so many different things that they can perform different functions. Well, that's all well and good. But one of the current concerns has been, and there have been a small but vocal number of people who are concerned that um, that it might turn on bad actors. So in other words, if you're stimulating growth, what if there's a cancer cell? What if there's a basal cell or a squamous cell or something that has a mutation? You know, are you stimulating that to grow more? Now, that's not like been proven by, we don't have like a ton of people that all of a sudden have skin cancers, but I don't know that anybody's really ever done a study because Certainly the aging population also gets skin cancer. We'd have to do a study to really look back at that. And I'm not saying that it does cause cancer. I'm saying that's been a concern. Now, Neocutis did also create a product called the Micronite and the Microday, which have peptides, three or four different peptides that are, I believe a couple of them are what we call proprietary. In other words, um, they they created them and they're specific. And so that's that was like, they wanted to, you know, get away from the human growth factors because somebody, some people do have concerns about them. Again, not that I know of anything that actually causes concern, but people have expressed concern. So that's kind of like a next level. But again, when you think about those peptides, they're stimulating that old skin that we have that's already somewhat senescent that may have mutations and that don't doesn't have as good of a functionality so in essence, by being very specific and by stimulating a, a growth uh, stem cell population that creates new skin, we're kind of using our baby cells or we're creating brand new cells. And that could really be, um, you know, a definite advantage. And so I think that that's an advantage. In addition, I want to say one other thing we did do in the study, Dr. Merrigan performed immunohistochemistry on those um, seven biopsy specimens. And he was looking for a marker, which is called KI-67. Now, KI-67 in and of itself as a marker isn't necessarily for sure, like if you have that marker, it's skin cancer. But it has been shown that in basal cell, squamous cell carcinoma, and also breast cancer, and probably other cancers, it's very elevated in cells that have cancer. So what we did show was that none of these, none of the patients that got the either the null version or the actual version had an increased concentration of this KI67 staining in their cells, which again doesn't prove that we're not causing skin cancer, but it, it's certainly very reassuring that we're not increasing the marker that is associated with skin cancer. So I think that that was something that we, you know, set out to do was was also to kind of corroborate the safety. Hmm. I think that's amazing. That, that I mean, that's such a great clinical observation right there. Um, and, and talking of clinical observations and the difference differences of observations in terms of mechanism of action, can you explain the effect of the age repair defenses in terms of wrinkle, pore size, you know, skin evenness, oily dryness, et cetera? Well, just to go back, I think we're going to have to talk about the results 
um, the rest of the results. One of the salient results. I want to go back to the retinol thing just for one second, because mm-hmm. I also want to say, again, not trying to bash retinol, but as we all know, it, it does take away the stratum corneum. It exfoliates the stratum corneum, which, of course, is one way that it does stimulate the skin to turn over and metabolize faster. But by taking away the stratum corneum, we all know that we have to use sunscreen, and we may actually be a little bit more sensitive to the sun. So that's one other way that this differs in that the stratum corneum remains intact and actually is improved in terms of um, the basket weave. And the if you look at the increase in the epidermis, you see that there's not only more cells and it's thicker, but they look more organized. So back to the other question, which was the other results. The other results were that we found there was a statistically significant improvement in the appearance of pores, in pore size. This was shown clinically through the Griffith scale, but even more pronouncedly by the uh, objective imaging of both the cortex, three-dimensional, and by the actual measurement of the pores um, by the quantificare. So three different measures showed very strong statistics significance. I think it was like 0.001. So that means chance could only have created that result one in 10,000 times. So I think that that's believable. And um, so why? Well, I think we don't actually know why. It's very possible that the defensins could also, like I told you, the defensins, the locus of action is the hair follicle. So perhaps there is some other mechanism whereby it affects sebaceous gland secretion. That is not something that we expected from the study. So that does need further reply. We don't know the exact mechanism of the improvement of wrinkles. And wrinkles did show improvement, both fine wrinkles and coarse wrinkles, both, again, by the cortex imaging, three-dimensional imaging, as well as the um, by the investigators clinically to a level of, again, 0.001. So there was consistency. Um, at least that was the clinical. I think it was 0.01 in the cortex. So how do we achieve that? That's a good question because technically we don't, we're not, specifically stimulating the um, dermis that we know of, okay? But as we all know, or we don't know, I don't know if you're aware of, like, um, the Pico lasers. Oh, yes, Picosecond yes. lasers create wounds, at least some of them create the wounds in the epidermis, like these tiny little bubbles, and yet the result in the skin is remarkable. And we know that there's a lot of crosstalk between the epidermis and the dermis. So maybe it's such that by having a very healthy epidermis, there's better signals to the dermis, but we really don't know. So we really don't know. Part of the superficial wrinkling could be just because the skin is thicker and smoother, So it's, and it also retains, it had improved transepidermal water loss. Um, meaning that there was less water loss. So that's important because it improved the barrier function. So all these things are great for the skin, 
that could maybe account for the superficial wrinkles because just by having a thicker epidermis and having it retain more water, it may sit up better and not be crinkly. But that that would not explain the deep wrinkles. So we still have a lot that we need to know about why why it created those results. And finally, the last result was that it actually did reduce melanin pigmentation. So it's kind of like, I was going to say the trifecta, but I think it's the quadrifecta or the <laughs> quintifecta. Maybe it's the septicecta. But anyway, we can so keep going it on. did seem to reduce um, excess pigmentation, and that was um, quantified by the Quantificare, um, which found, I believe it was 002 statistical significance. So while I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, again, we're not calling it a lightning agent, but again, maybe some of that effect was due to the improvement of the epidermis, um, but, you know, we just don't know. And then the bottom line, though, is that it was... Pulls, you know, because I know that's a big thing, especially for me, I mean, invisible pores. Um, yeah, there's very, there's very few topicals. I mean, retinol... And tretinoin is used for pore because it reduces the oil secretion from the oil gland. And so we know that that can diminish pores and salicylic acid is good for pores. But we don't have anything that we know of that's non-exfoliating, that's, yeah, that's not exfoliating, that reduces pores. And, of course, as we age, that's um, something that people really complain about. Our pores seem to get more coarser. We don't necessarily get oilier. So we don't really know why the the pores get coarser, but certainly having a product that doesn't dry us out and can um, improve the pores is pretty pretty new, exciting. Now, I, I do have a couple more questions, and we are running a little um, behind here, but this is so fascinating to listen to all this. And one thing that I, I, I do think our listeners would, would want to know is in terms of the participants in the study, um, mm-hmm. And and I know you can maybe only speak for your your patients yourself. I'm not sure about those of Dr. Bakaya, those of Dr. Keller. Um, but what was the age and, and the skin type of those patients? Okay, so the age of all the patients, the range was 41 to 70. They were all women, and the average age was 60. So we're talking mm-hmm. about older women. Okay. Um, I tried to select patients, and I believe they did too, I tried to select patients that, we, like I said before, we have many medical patients, and many of them would like to use skincare, but they can't really afford the really expensive stuff. So we had a lot of enthusiastic participants, shall I say, mm-hmm, sure. people who like were itching to use products, but you know didn't really have a few hundred dollars to shell out for them. Um, and so I tried to, I tried to actually um, get mostly people who weren't big skincare junkies already so that there would be more of a change and also people who were excited and enthusiastic about it. In terms of skin color, I believe we had skin type 1 through 4, but I don't want to misspeak. I don't I do think we had somebody who was African American. I got to go back. I don't want to say anything because Okay. Um, well, you had a variety of, of different. We had a variety, but yep, probably yep. not as good of a representation of darker skin types. But I'm not sure about Dr. Keller and Dr. Bukai, and that's a very good question because I need to know the answer to that, and I just don't want to misspeak. 
Yeah, yeah. And I know Dr. Bakai does tend to, because um, she had mentioned to me on a previous interview that she has um, somewhat of a uh, Hispanic base of patients, I think, right. in, in, in her location. location. Was yeah, right. but, but then like, I she has had even East Indian and some African-American skin, but I'm not sure if it rose to the level of, you know, a good representation. So I'm going to go yeah. back and look at that. Yeah, yeah. And then um, um, what was the satisfaction level of the patients in the study? Well, there was a very high level of satisfaction, over 90% satisfaction. But there was also, I have to be fair, there was also a high level of satisfaction with the patients with the null. So (laughs) what can you say? They loved the skin care, but they didn't get as much improvement out of it. So there wasn't yeah. as much of a differentiation there. Well, fortunately, there were there were lesser of them, <laughs> so we did have probably more happier patients. Right. If there were fewer that that were using the placebo. Um, and then my last question is, you know, which I do think is important. I mean, both for on a physician level and on a consumer level, because you know we like to think that we're going to be seeing more of this product across the country, making it more available to people. Um, but how was the, the audience that you presented the study to? Was there any reaction to the study results? Did they, you know, ask any really good questions or did they seem enthused about the product after you revealed the results? Yeah, I mean, we got incredible feedback. I think that people were, I think they were really excited about seeing a study that was really rigorous. You know, one of the problems with skincare products that are over the counter is, you know, I don't even really know if I should say this on radio, but we do this dance, you know, with the FDA where we're like, well, no, it's just moisturizer. And so, you know, that's kind of an excuse for a lot of skincare products. Well, we can't really do the study because we don't want to really show that there's an improvement. So we have to be careful with what we claim. We're going to only claim that there's an improvement in the appearance of, not that there's an actual improvement. That's the distinction. Um, but I think that what people responded not only where where they were very impressed by the fact that we did a very rigorous study. And so it really makes the claims much more believable as opposed to just, hey, I love that product. I tried it. I saw a difference in three days. Yeah, that's all well and good. But to actually prove it, you know, is another story. So I think that people were... Well, yeah. Well, I think it's rare, isn't it, for a skincare company to actually, you know, independently do a study like this. I mean, most of them do not unless, like you said, they're more... Well, I think some of them do independent studies. They do it through different companies, but they don't necessarily publish it. So, I mean, there is, you know, they don't don't necessarily publish it and make it known. Part of it, I'm sure, is because people are afraid that maybe they wouldn't, you know, maybe it wouldn't show enough of a difference. But there are skin products that have done science. And I think that we need to hold the skincare product companies to a level of, you know, of science because they're expensive products and people want to get a good outcome. And then what happens is that people are just like, you know, it becomes quite faddish. And, like, I am very enthusiastic about this product, and I like the fact that it comes in a kit. It makes it very easy for people. But in my past life, I've kind of been against kits only because a lot of products just, they create a good ingredient and then they add it to everything and then they throw a bunch of stuff in, you know, because you can sell more products and that's called marketing. Some companies are better at some things than others. I always felt like some companies made better antioxidants. Some companies make better sunscreens. You know, and and 
nowadays, you know, it's so different than it was, say, I don't know, 25 years ago when cosmeceuticals were first coming out. It was so exciting to see, you know, over-the-counter products that could actually cause changes that patients could be excited about. That's actually why I started my website called Skinfo, which was like skin and information because I wanted people to know about them. I thought it was really amazing, and that was when we only had alpha-hydroxy acids. But those were the first over-the-counter ingredients that actually made people call up in two weeks and go, my skin is better, you mm-hmm. know, and yes. we didn't really have anything like that before then. Well, they were a game-changer, we weren't they? You know, yeah. I think when anti- the, uh, like I said the alpha-hydroxies, when they came out, I think they were a bit of a game-changer in skincare. And would you say that Defenage and the Age Repair Defensins are the, the new game-changer? I, I think they really are. You know, I've come to the conclusion based on the study. I thought it based on anecdotal experience, but now that we have the the science behind it and the science more or less matches up, it actually does things that we didn't think it would do, but it matches up at least to what we were expecting from the mechanism of action. I think it is a game changer. And I think it's it's very consistent with some game changing that's going on in other areas of our field, like for instance, how we're understanding the molecular mechanism for, you know, eczema and for psoriasis. And then we've developed drugs specifically to interrupt those abnormal pathways. And here's, a, a, it's not a drug, but here's a, an ingredient that will stimulate a specific pathway that we know should create, you know, new skin and behold that it actually did it. So um, I think that this is, the new generation is not necessarily test a bunch of things and see which one works, but work out the science first and then design the product around that. So that's where we're at. I think that's fantastic. Dr. Taub, thank you so much for being on Aesthetic Insider Radio. For for those people listening in, um, if they wanted to contact you, whether it was to purchase products directly from you in the Defenage line or to ask questions about the study, what is the best place for them to reach you? Well, to purchase products, we have a website called skinfo.com, S-K-I-N-F-O.com, and you can purchase them there. Um, and to reach me directly, usually email is the best. It's Dr. Taub, D-R-T-A-U-B, at advdermatology.com. ADV, short for advanced, and dermatology, no, no hyphens or period, so just advdermatology.com. Great. Well, Dr. Town, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. I'd love to have you back on as a guest once again in the future. Great. Thank you so much for including me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.